Praise God. Father, thank you. Another great morning in the house of the Lord. That we can worship you and love you and honor you on the Sabbath day. Beautiful day outside also. As the sun shines, Lord, upon us. We thank you. And Lord, Father, we just ask for your anointing this morning to speak your word, to hear your word, and then to apply your word, God, as we leave the sanctuary. So Lord, we just place this moment and time in your hands. Pray that you would sanctify and separate us unto your use and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak this morning, preach, teach, probably both, on the subject sufficient. I preached last week concerning sufficiency, and I wanted to follow up one more sermon on how God is sufficient in our life. Let's look at the Word of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's look at some verses Paul the Apostle said, It's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body... Or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory. Yet of myself I will not glory but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. Amen. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Paul the Apostle. Let's talk about him for a few moments. He was a persecutor of the church. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was mean. He was zealous. And he helped to incarcerate those who were Christian and some were killed as a result of his efforts. How can God take such a man and restore him to Jesus and forgive him? How can God take such a man 
and give him such great revelations and visions that he glories not in or boasts about, remains humble, not seeking attention for himself, but bringing attention to God. How can God bring such a man to such a place in life except to be through the blood and name and power of Jesus? Amen. I want to talk to you for a few minutes because this thorn in the flesh is one of the most misunderstood passages of the Word of God. I would like to quote from Dake's Bible commentary concerning the thorn. This is the most simple explanation of the thorn in the flesh that's possible for God and for man to give. It was the messenger of Satan. It comes from the word angelos, which is used 179 times in the Bible and the word messenger seven times. It is never translated disease or physical infirmity and never means any such thing. An angel of Satan, one of the spirit beings which fell with him, followed Paul and buffeted him when he was tempted to become exalted. Paul lists in Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27, some of the things that this angel caused him to go through to keep him humble. There is not a disease in the whole list. I like how our pastor taught us this verse. He said, Paul was a mean hombre. He was a mean hombre. On the road to Damascus, God got his attention. And he saw the light. When he became the man of God that he became and was becoming. Our pastor said he believed this to happen. The enemy came and said, how can you be a preacher? You persecuted the church. How can you tell people how to live? How can you tell people about God? And he followed him. That demon spirit. And followed him. And harassed him. Because the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. And he accused him. To the place. Where he became a thorn. In Paul's flesh. Just like the Canaanites. The Hittites. The Perizzites. Because the same word thorn was the same word that was applied to them in the Old Testament. And we know that Paul didn't have Canaanites in his flesh. It was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. But somewhere down the road, Paul got the text message from God. Paul got the email and the memo from God 
and finally realized who he was. Yes, he did. Come on. When he wrote through the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Until you get that message, your life will be lived in guilt, shame, and condemnation of your past. One of the most hideous ways the enemy defeats Christians is with their past. Always trying to bring up something you did five or ten or twenty or thirty years ago. Always trying to accuse you. God wants you to divorce that part of your life because it's a bad friendship, it's a bad relationship. When we come to Jesus and we ask Him to forgive us of our sins, my Bible says He puts our sins in the sea of forgetfulness to remember them no more as far as the east is to the west. So when the enemy speaks into your ear and brings up something, it's not God because God says, I don't even remember it because I put it in the sea of forgetfulness. You must recognize who the voice is. It's the voice of the accuser. It's the voice of the enemy. And you cannot entertain that voice that tries to pull you back to your past and marry you again seductively to your past. This messenger kept bugging Paul. And Paul did pray three times that God would relieve him of that. But listen to what happened. He said, God said, listen, my grace. And what is the grace of God? It's the graciousness of God. It's the divine influence of God upon our heart and how it reflects into our life. It's God's benefit. It's God's favor. It's the gifts of God. The grace of God is the loving kindness and favor of God, praise God, toward us as children of God. He gives us knowledge, affection, love. He strengthens us. He increases us in our Christian faith. When that enemy comes, he says, listen, my grace is sufficient. So what does the word sufficient mean in our life? Sufficient is satisfactory. He says, my grace is sufficient, which means it's enough. And it means through the idea, I love this, through the idea, listen to this, of raising a barrier. <laughs> Who's coming? The enemy? Really? God's grace is sufficient to raise a barrier against our enemy so that he cannot overcome us, overtake us. It's God's way of defending us. It's God's way of warding off those demon spirits. It's God's way of keeping us pure and holy before him. The word sufficient means I possess the unfailing strength of God. The word sufficient means that I am able, praise God, through Him. I can do all things through Christ. He is my strength. And the word strength in Greek means 
force, miraculous power, ability, abundance to be able to be able to do something that's possible. Praise God. So what's God saying to Paul? My grace will ward off the powers of evil. Let them follow you. Let them talk you. It'll have no effect on you because my grace is sufficient and I'll raise up a standard. Praise God. When the enemy comes in like a flood, I will raise up a standard against him. Come on. You can't forget the message of the gospel. You can't forget the message that Jesus won. You can't forget the message that Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. You can't forget the message, he was born of a virgin, died on the cross, and rose again on the third day. Praise God. Hallelujah. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. You can't forget the simple message of Christ. My strength. His force, his power. What does he say? It's sufficient. And he says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. <laughs> what does the word perfect mean? Complete. God is able to consummate. God is able to accomplish. God is able to finish and complete. God is able to bring us to a definite point or goal. It's the conclusion of a matter. God is saying, listen, you know what my grace can do? You know what my sufficiency can do? I can bring you from point A to point B. And I can fulfill my purpose in your life. I have that ability. All in all. Come on. This word perfect actually means the ultimate or prophetic purpose for your life. Yes, sir. Come on. I read something yesterday. That I have to explore a little bit more. It's a piece that someone wrote. And they talked to a hundred people that were gonna die. And they asked those hundred people about their life. And here's what those people said It's not what we did in life, it's what we didn't do that we did. It's not what we did. It's not what we accomplished. Come on. All they could think about was what they didn't do. Come on. God wants to bring us to that ultimate and prophetic purpose for our life. So that when we get to the place in life, we can look back on our life and say, God did a work in my life. Though the enemy tried to cloud that work, though the enemy tried to impede that work, stop that work, become an obstacle in my life, God fulfilled his prophetic purpose in my life to complete those things that was destined for me when I was conceived in my mother's womb. My weakness is my frailty. My weakness is my feebleness. But God's strength overcomes my feebleness. God's strength overcomes my frailty. And the Bible says, look what he says here. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In my feebleness. John the Baptist said at the best, I must decrease and he must increase. Paul was saying, I can't think of myself higher than I am. And I don't want you to think of me as higher than I am. I'm not trying to give you that operating image. 
I'm just a man. But I'm a man now that's empowered by God and that has the ability of God and I'm anointed by the Christ in my life. And the enemy of my past has no place or power over me. Because God has shown me that there's therefore now no condemnation. Amen. The Word of God says, it says, most gladly therefore will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want to talk to you about, um, um, for a moment, about the power of Christ. It's God's strength. It's God's ability. It's His inherent power that resides in us. It's His virtue. It's His virtue that went out of His body, that touched the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5. It's that, it's that virtue that raised up Jairus' daughter, praise God, who was dead. And He said, Tabitha, I say unto thee, arise. It's that power that worketh in you. It's that power. It's that virtue, praise God. That's why sometimes when you pray for someone and they fall out of the Spirit, it's not the power of a man. It's the power and the virtue of Christ that flows through you. And overcome by the power of the Holy Christ, Lord God. It's his virtue. And people minimize the power of God in their life. It says the power of God, what? That what? That Christ. Listen to what the word of God says. It says, most gladly will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ. I looked up that word Christ. It means anointed. It means through the idea of contact. It means to smear or rub with oil. It means to consecrate, to furnish what is needed, to employ or to act toward one in a given manner. It means, it's a means of instrument. It's through the idea, it's a channel. It's a storm or pouring rain that comes into our life. My God, do you hear what I just said? That Christ wants to attach himself to us. He wants to rub the oil of the Holy Spirit, that unction of God upon us. He wants to anoint us with his power, the same power that rose from the dead, the same power that did miracles, the same power that came upon the church, wants to come upon the Christian. Come on. And we act so feeble. We act so inferior. We act like we're afraid of ourselves. We oh, act like we can't find our way out of a paper bag. Come on. Hallelujah. 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 Christian passivity drives me crazy. Come on, right. Like a person doesn't exist, but says I'm a Christian. You know, I like what the black church says. Show me some signs. Amen. Be a proof producer that you are what you say you are. Amen. Come on, my friend. On. A dead body in the funeral home is a dead body. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I said a dead body is going to show you a sign it can't breathe. There's no heartbeat. There's no blood flowing through its veins. But my God, those of us that are spirit-filled Christians, hallelujah, we should stand on our feet and praise our God and worship our God through the power of the Holy Spirit. The enemy wants to shut your mouth. The enemy wants to shut your heart. The enemy wants to tell you that this is crazy. So he wants to tell you. Amen. This isn't right. I talked to one of my clients yesterday and said, I just came from a different prison and I went to church there. And I'm not throwing no light on the Baptists. 
But she said it was a typical Baptist service. And I knew what she meant. Rather quiet. And stayed. And programmed. She said, but pastor, when I, I come to the church at this prison where you're the pastor, <laughs> it's totally different. It's a different world. It's a different culture. Because the freedom of the Lord, there's liberty. Where the Spirit of God is, there's liberty. There's emotion. There's power. There's ability. There's virtue. There's dunamis to blow up. Praise God. Dunamis is dynamite that blows up the powers of evil. Christ resting upon us. Look what it says. I'm going slow. The power, that the power of Christ may rest upon us. You know what that means? The word rest means to fix a tent or habitation on someone. It means to take position of, possession of, and live in the house. It's the power of Christ descending upon us. Working within, with Him and giving us help through His Spirit. It means distribution. It means to abide with, to encamp, to occupy. It means to reside as God did in the tabernacle of old. Wait a minute, Pastor. It means what? The Shekinah glory that came upon the people in the tents, in the tabernacles, in Solomon's temple, in the church at Haggai, in the days of Haggai the prophet. It's the same spirit by God. He's not in a building now. He's in your house. He's in your soul. He's in your spirit. He's in your heart. My God, praise God. He's alive. Christians act like they're dead people. Come on. No voice. Nothing. The light's on, but nobody's home. I said the light's on, but nobody's home. How are we going to withstand the powers of evil that come in the last days? I said, how are we going to withstand the powers of evil that's going to come in the last days, my friend? I don't know what Bible you're reading. But I don't see this getting better. I see this getting worse. What Bible are you reading? It's time now to become empowered. It's time now to become empowered. It's time now to wake up the sleeping giant, which is the church. Those that are at ease in Zion. Let me give you a little commercial. This might be my opinion. In Acts 14, verse 19 and 20. I've heard it preached this way. And I just wanted to bring it to you to whet your appetite. The Bible said there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. I want to quote from Clark's commentary. Supposing he had been dead, they did not leave stoning him till they had the fullest evidence that he was dead, and so most probably he was. Gill's commentary says this, They drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead, which is in addition to the barbarity and inhumanity. For they not only stoned him until he was dead, as they supposed, 
But they dragged his body through the streets of their city in contempt of him and indignation against him and cast him out of it where they left him as an unworthy of a burial. I believe because Paul said, I knew a man 14 years ago who was taken to the third heaven. This is just my conjecture. And some Bible commentary people who are smarter than me as theologians. Was it possible? Because I believe Paul died in the book of Acts. But I also believe that the power of God was inherent in those disciples that stood around him. And they prayed in the name of Jesus to bring the man of God back. Hallelujah. I said they prayed in the name of Jesus to bring the man of God back. Get up, Paul. Your day is not done. Get up, son. Your work is not over. God wants to fulfill prophecy in your life. Get up in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I think it was then, during that moment of death, that Paul went to the third heaven. Amen. I knew a man 14 years ago. The math is just about there. If you look at the chronological Bible. I just wanted to entertain you with that for a moment. The disciples meant business, man. God is trying to get us back where we can mean business. This is not a joke. This is a war. Yes, sir. Come on. Listen. When we were doing that paintball stuff a few weeks ago, that was war. That was war. Yeah. Ask Jim Click as he fired upon the pastor and said, "This is war." <laughs> You're in such a war spiritually for your soul. It's not a joke. You're in, you're in war for your family, for your children, for your posterity, for your job, for your finances, for your health, for your future. Yes. This isn't just play it by ear. This isn't case it us at all. What will be will be. You have a part in your destiny. You have a choice to allow this power to work through you, to allow the ability of God to touch you. Second Corinthians chapter three verse five says that we are. That we are sufficient, we are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. If you're sitting here in this church this morning thinking you've got it all together because you're so smart, you're so intelligent, and you know how to make decisions, man, you are off course. Your train already derailed. Come on, have we got an altar for you? Our sufficiency is not of ourselves. Come on. What does that mean? We're not sufficient in our own ability. We have not arrived. We have, we're not competent without God. We're not fit. We're, we don't have security within ourselves without God. The Bible says that our sufficiency is of Him. It's His ability. It's His power. It's His anointing that gives us the security. What does He say? He says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think. Don't suppose and determine that you're so smart. Don't suppose and determine that you just know what you're doing. Oh, come on. Because without God, you will derail. Without God, you'll make dumb decisions. Without God, you'll change the course of your life and your destiny. And without God, you'll keep a lot of problems on yourself that are not necessary. Our sufficiency is his ability and competency to do what he needs to do in our life. Amen. 
2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. What does the word able mean? That God is capable, that God is powerful, that God is mighty, that God is strong to bear the calamities and trials that you will go through in this life. That God will give you the fortitude and the patience to overcome. He's enough, come on. Because Paul described what he went through. But they did not defeat him. For some Christians, a little bit of wind, and they're done. A little bit of adversity, and they're blown out of the water. The washing machine breaks, and the world comes to an end. Call a prayer meeting. Call a prayer meeting. I couldn't do my wash today. There's laundromats until you're getting enough money to go buy a washing machine. Just save your quarters. Put them in a roll. Be ready for the rainy day. Be ready for the day when the washing machine doesn't work. Oh my God, the toaster broke. I don't have toast this morning. I'm going to go to pieces. My day is not going to be good today. I didn't have my toast and coffee this morning. What is the Bible saying? And God is able to make all grace abound. It means to be abundantly furnished, to have an abundance, to have an affluence. It means to excel. It means to exceed. Abounding is used of a flower going from a bud to full bloom. God doesn't want you to be a bud all your life. God doesn't want you to be a one, one little green thing coming up from the earth. He wants you to be a strong tree. Read Psalm 1. He wants you to be a strong tree whose leaves do not wither, whose roots go down deep into the ground like a palm tree. And when the wind comes, the palm tree might bend over, but thank God, hallelujah, it gets back up. That's a Christian. We need to be palm tree Christians. His sufficiency is able to abound always, at all times. God isn't sleeping. He doesn't go on vacation. What's his sufficiency in this verse? It's his aid. It's his support. He supplies the necessities of life. And it also means a mind that's contented with one's lot. So many Christians are not content with the sufficiency of God. So many Christians have no idea what they're looking for. What they're seeking. Because when you have Christ, you have everything you need. When you have Jesus, you have all the necessities that God desires to give to you. But yet we go outside of that sufficiency of God and what we're looking for, I have no idea. People say something's missing. Well, probably you need more power with God. Get anointed with oil. Open your heart. Open your mouth. Raise your hands. And maybe something might happen to you. Yes, come on. Maybe the Christ might attach himself to you in a way you've never known before. Come on. Maybe the river will flow. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Let's talk about God's grace for a few minutes. God's grace is the divine ability of God that is able to do a number of things. 
I want to give you a little list of what God's sufficiency does. I want to give you a little list of what God's grace does, what his divine ability does. God's grace and ability is able to deliver. Daniel chapter 3 verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. We're not going to be smart-mouthed. We're not going to disrespect you. But if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. In the HCSB version, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of a blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. I think sometimes we lose the meaning of God's grace and ability to deliver us out of the mighty hand of the enemy. So many people give up and succumb and say, what's the use? Here's three young boys, teenagers, looking at a fiery furnace that's stoked seven times hotter. And here they are, in woman clothes, and thrown into a fiery furnace. The king thinking, I'm done with these disobedient children who call themselves Christians. But the king who was sitting on his throne Got a text message from God. Amen. Why don't you get up, Mr. King, and go look in the fiery furnace? And Mr. King got the text message from God, and he got up and he looked into the fiery furnace and he looked at his soldiers and he said, I thought we put three in there. He said, I see Shadrach. I see Meshach, and I see Abednego, but I see the form of the fourth that looks like a son of God. He knew who it was. He knew who it was. The king does not have the final say in your life except to be the king Jesus. The kings of this world don't have the final say about what's going to happen to this world. They don't have the final say about America. They don't have the final say about the Middle East. They don't have the final say about the book of Revelation. They don't have the final say, but God, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, He has the final say. Amen. God's grace and ability has the power to raise up stones. He says in Luke 3 and 8, He says, Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. Well, my grandma was in church and she put the first stone in the church, so I must be a Christian. No, no, no. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. He says in Luke 19, 37, 
And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the mountain of olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these shall hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out, Lord, I don't want no stone crying out for Colombo. I don't want some rock crying out for me because I failed to praise God and open my mouth. Come on. I go to a quiet church, Pastor. I go to a quiet church. They don't, they don't do all this there. They don't, they don't get excited. There's no emotion. Well, then you're dead. And you're in the wrong church. I hear what I'm saying. I said, then you're dead. You're in the, you need resurrection. You need revival. Praise God. You know, my mother used to say that that, that girl's so skinny that, that a good meal would kill her. Yes, sir. She said her bones would make good soup. That's what my mother used to say. And you know what? If some people got a good meal, praise God, a, a spiritual spaghetti and meatball meal with a piece of cheesecake and some garlic bread, my God, they'd revive in a moment. Hallelujah. By the power of God. Hallelujah. All you need to do is hear the word of God. All you need to go into a church where you worship God and you're clapping, you're stopping your feet and you say, God, I love you. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't want no usher ushering me out the door because I shouted and say amen. If you like that flavor, go there. Happy birthday. I said, if you like that flavor, go there. Marry it. Come on. It's not my flavor. I like vanilla ice cream with rainbow sprinkles. Amen? Amen. God's grace is able to raise up stones. God's grace is able to fulfill promises in our life. Second mm-hmm. Corinthians, I already read it to you, 9.8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you have all, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. God's grace and ability is able to do exceeding abundantly. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able. He is able. He's got the power. Yes, he does. Yes, sir. He's got the power. Come on. To do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. He's in our house. Amen. Oh, but Lord, I don't want to bother you. There are other people in the world that have needs. And I know, Lord, that you're busy answering prayers and taking care of other people. So, Lord, I just want to be humble. Oh, shut up. Mary Martyr. God doesn't have a package of hot dogs in heaven trying to distribute it to millions of people. He'll give you your own package of hot dogs and they'll be all beef with no chicken parts in it. I said, are you hearing? I don't need none of them parts. I don't know where them parts came from in my hot dog. I'd rather have all beef. Less than nitrates. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Did you know when you think you're praying? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What does it say? 
I didn't write the word. Now once again, that is able to do exceeding abundantly about all that we ask. Ask with your mouth. Sometimes I just think my prayers. I said, sometimes I just think my prayers. Sometimes I say, Lord, touch my sister. Comes to my mind. Yes. In my mind. I'm talking to the guy in the attic. He's always up here. He's always roaming around. He's always doing something. He's busy. I interrupt him. Lord, it's me. The guy in the attic. I'm thinking. Touch my sister. Touch my brother. Touch my grandson. Touch my granddaughter. Thoughts come to me. Sometimes I pray out loud. Most of the times I'm going to work, I'm praying in the spirit out loud. Sometimes I'm in solitude. And I'm just thinking. And I think of people. And I think in my mind, Lord, touch them. I see an accident on the side of the road. I see a police car. I see an ambulance going down the road. I say, Lord, I don't even know where they're going. But Lord, touch those folks. I don't have to say with my mouth. Because the Bible says that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think. His grace and ability is able to subdue all things in my life. Philippians chapter 3 verse 21. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he's able even to subdue all things unto himself. Amen. What does that mean? Better clarification comes in Colossians 2.15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Amen. Listen, people do not understand the meaning of the cross. They do not understand the meaning of when Jesus said it is finished. Come on, preach. The Roman soldier understood fully. Because in the days of Rome, when the battle was won, the man stood upon a rock, the general, the lieutenant, whoever it was, on the highest rock, and proclaimed victory by saying, it is finished. The Roman soldier knew somehow Jesus got victory, though he closed his eyes and gave up the ghost. Come on. And the enemy started having a picnic in hell. Oh, they all gathered in that darkness. Bring a picnic lunch. We're going to have a buffet. We finally got Jesus dead. We saw it. We saw it. We couldn't kill him in the garden. We wanted to kill him before he went to the cross. But that's okay. You see what he did? He gave up the ghost. He said it is finished. He's done. We're good. We're good. And then having a little thing there in hell, there with all the demons, powers, principalities, rules, spiritual wickedness in high places, a high need. High meaning of Satan. High meaning. Mm-hmm. Oh, they had it all going on. Then something happened down there. They in something the happened down there. Something happened down there. All of a sudden, coming into that place, because Jesus went on the bowels of the earth, all of a sudden, on, a little light began to shine. Mm-hmm. A little light. You, you know when you're sleeping in your bedroom, and, and, and you see a, a headlight, and you think they're coming up your driveway? No, they're not coming up your driveway, but you see the light, don't you? And all of a sudden, a little light begins to shine. And all of a sudden, those demon spirits begin to realize that light got brighter and brighter and brighter. Yeah. My God, hallelujah! He broke up the picnic, and he said, he said, give me the keys, because now I have power over the dead and the grave. Hang over the keys, your soul, and the dark of Eden. Amen. Amen. Keep that touch, give me the keys. Your day will come. But it's not today. Come on, preach. Your day will come. Come on. 
but it's not today. Mm. Hand over the keys. Oh, grave, where is thy sting? Because oh, <laughs> he's resurrected. Amen. He has the power to subdue all things. He put powers and principalities under his feet. Right. Amen. He bruised the head of Satan. Amen. And Satan hasn't been right since. He's able to guard that which we commit unto him. He says in 2 Timothy 1.12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Amen. Whatever you commit to him, he'll keep your life, your soul, your spirit. If you want to be kept, he'll keep you. I said if you want to be kept, if you want to commit to him, He'll keep it. Amen. His desire, his ability, and grace is to save. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore he's able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. God's desire is not for anyone to go to hell. God's desire that all men would be saved. Hell wasn't created for people. It was created for the devil and his demons. Come on. But through disobedience. Not because of God. People blame God. It's through disobedience of the word. Disobedience in the house of the Lord. That we get ourselves in trouble. He's able to keep us. Not only to guard us. He says in Jude 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. If you want to be kept. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. People make the Christian life out to be such a terrible life to live. It's so hard, Pastor. It's, it's so restrictive. You can't do this, you can't do that. What are you talking about? Because the things that we used to do were sending us to hell. That's what you want to go back to? You want to go back to the drugs, to the bottle, to the nightclubs, to the parties, to the crazy stuff? You want to go back to that? Holding on to the toilet in the middle of the night and throwing up green? Pouring your hand on the hat, That's living? The six pack? Johnny Walker? Shivers Regal? That's living? Come on. No, I'll tell you what's living. Doing what we're doing. Amen. Serving God and raising our children in the house of the Lord. Amen. Hey, listen, there's no greater joy for a dad or a grandfather or a pastor as myself than to see his family, his grandchildren, and the family of God in the house of the Lord on a Sunday morning Amen. outside of Christ's salvation. There's nothing more wonderful than to look around and look at the faces of people and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we're no longer out there Thank you that you've redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Lord, that you're always guarding us and keeping us. Thank you, Lord, that you're as close as our right hand. Amen. I'm going to close with this. And this actually blew my mind concerning the sufficiency of God. I want to quote to you from a book. It's called The Great Omission by Dallas Willard. And I quote, 
What is Sabbath? Question. Biblically, it's mainly a day once a week when we do no work. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 and 10. It is also a year. Once upon every seven years, when God's covenant people did not sow seed, prune their vines or store their harvest, according to Leviticus 25, verses 4 through 7. And to this question, it says, how are we going to eat in the seventh year if we don't prune our trees, if we do not sow seed, and if we do not store harvest? How are we going to eat in the seventh year when you tell us to let the land rest? God replied in Leviticus 25 and 21 and said, I will order my blessing for you in the sixth year so that it will yield a crop for three years. Wow. <laughs> I never saw that before. I, I said, look, you know, I, 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 I'm, you, you give me a sermon on sufficiency. Yeah, I know. And that's why I'm giving you that quote. You put that book in my hands for a reason, didn't you? Yes, one sole purpose. If that was the only purpose, I said, you're kidding. No, I'm not. I said, you told the people not to prune, not to plant? On that seventh year. Yes, sir. What does it say in the book of Leviticus? But I will order, I will order my grace, my ability, my blessing for you in the sixth year so that it will yield a crop for three years. Woo! That's the walk of faith. Listen. Dallas Willard said this. Dallas Willard also said this. Quote. Sabbath is simply casting all your care, anxiety, upon him, for he careth for you. First Peter 5, 7. Sabbath is rest. Sabbath is the grace and the ability of God that comes into our heart and quiets every storm, tells every wind to stop, and gives us the power to overcome when those things try to overwhelm us in our life, that the Prince of Peace is right there in the eye of the storm. God is sufficient. His sufficiency is all I need. People look to people, and God will choose people to help you. People rely upon horses and chariots, and they might be able to help you to some extent. But our true help, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, comes from Him. Never forget the sufficiency of God, whether it's at the fiery furnace, whether it's in the middle of the ocean or the lake when the storm comes, or when you're overwhelmed by life, that we can cast, that means to throw all of our cares and anxiety upon Him. For he cares for you. God will give us a harvest in the sixth year. 
to sustain us for three years. And I believe he desires to do that in the last and final hour as we are upon this earth to do his will. Amen. To fulfill the prophetic purpose of God in our life. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Tyler. Tyler. Thank you.